Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people. Learn more about the program, podcast, and our thank you gift when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's Pastor Michael and part one of his last message in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, about true love. We started this series in 1 Corinthians 13, and I call it a series only because we've done three messages in this section, because it deserved for us to slow down and talk about what true love is. Uh, but you guys know that we've taught all the way through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we'll finish the book. But uh, we have slowed down to talk about what love really looks like. And I've come to the pulpit a few times and shared with you some old love songs from some bands that you may be familiar with. Uh, one of the ones I shared with you was from Foreigner, where they asked the question, I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. And so as I was pondering and thinking about 1 Corinthians 13, I, I shared with you a, something that I had written. Some of you had asked for a copy of this. I'm going to read it to you again, and I will make copies available upon request. But here's what I wrote. It's called True Love, and it says, Teach me your love, Lord. Show me the way. In times of confusion, distraction, and division, help me to stay. When I speak, may it resound from your courts above. When the cymbals crash, may they sound with your love. Help me lay down my pride, be willing to suffer loss. Teach me the ways of your cross. Teach me your patience, help me to wait. Your kindness so that others can feel great. Give me mountain-moving faith so that nothingness is not my fate. Help me lay down my pride, be willing to suffer loss. Teach me the ways of your cross. I don't need to show off envy or brag. There's no profit in it, just an empty bag. Teach me your love, Lord. Teach me humility. Help me to forgive. Help me not to rejoice in wrong. Be ready to give. Teach me to praise what is true and right. Help me to walk in your light. Teach me to never give up, to never lose faith, to always be hopeful, never lose heart. Show me the way. Help me lay down my pride, be willing to suffer loss. Teach me the ways of your cross. When I walk the final lap of life's trails, when it's all said and done, remind me that your love never well, I wrote that, and then I realized I was writing a prayer. Anybody ever have a realization of what you've done to yourself? Because you write something or you express something, and then you realize, what I just asked God to do was to teach me how to love. Oh my goodness, what did I do? <laughs> a little levity here. Because you guys know when you pray for patience, what does God do? He puts you in situations to be patient. And if you ask God to teach you how to love, guess what God's going to do? <laughs> oh my goodness, I realized it weeks later. So if you want a copy, just be ready because God is going to challenge you. Here's something I've realized. Loving the way that God wants me to love is not easy. <laughs> Oftentimes when I have couples come up and we're about to share the vows and I go through the body of a wedding ceremony, I'll say to them, marriage looks easy until you try it. It's kind of like eating with chopsticks or uh, twirling a baton. 
We look at it and we go, oh, that's easy. And then you try to eat with chopsticks. <laughs> right? Or you throw that thing up and get clunked on the head. Marriage is the same way. Not all of you are married. And some of the things that I'm going to talk about today apply to marriage, but they also apply to friendships. They also apply to church relationships, etc. But we need to be taught how to love. And there's a couple of things out of the gate that I've got that challenge me. Number one, God is love and I am flesh. I am dust. So right there is a disadvantage. God is holy and I am flawed. Amen? So for me to love the way that He's called me to love, I'm going to need some outside help and resources. And this is why I want to start in 1 John and then I'm going to take you to a section of 1 Corinthians 13. We'll look at verses 4-7, through 7, but let's, let's look at 1 John 3 to begin with as we lay a foundation. And if you'd pray with me, Father, thank you for all the precious people who have come out today on this wonderful Lord's Day. Thank you for the beautiful weather. Thank you that despite what we may be going through, whether we're in a week of rejoicing or uh, tough times have hit us, wherever we may be, or maybe even somewhere in between, I pray that you would do a special fresh work in each of our hearts, uh, showing us how to love, showing your love for us first and foremost, because that's what we need to understand, how much you love us, Lord. And then let our love be a response and really let it be, uh, let it be something that flows out of your power, your dunamis power in our lives. So I pray that you'd bless each one of us, Lord, who are going to hear your word today. There's a lot of love does not, love does not do this and that. But first and foremost, Lord, we, we, have, we want to remember your great love for us. So I pray the foundation will be there. We'll know that it's your power that will give us the ability to love this way. And I pray that you would be pleased with what we do today. You would lead us by your Holy Spirit. You'd be glorified in your church. And all God's people said, in Jesus' name, amen. 1 John 3.1 says, See, 1 John 3.1, how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, 1 John 3, 1, that we should be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, 1 John 3, 2, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. If you want to scratch down some notes foundationally, verse 1 is God's adopting love. He is your father. He's adopted you into his family. God's transforming love. We are children of God and he's doing a work. And one of the works he's doing is to make us more into his image. And one of the things that we know about his image is that God is love. God is also holy. God is truth but God is love. And then notice his purifying love. Everyone who has this hope fixed on God, the, the love of God, the future that we have as we'll be resurrected in Christ's image, purifies himself. So God's love is purifying. Now flip over to chapter 4. Check out, um, well, actually uh, in chapter 3, this is a, another verse that we shared. We know love, 1 John 3, 16, by this, or this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, 1 John 3, 16, and we, 
Here's our response. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren or for one another. John then goes into an example of someone who's in need. And we can't close our heart in verse 17 of chapter 3 against that person. If we do, the question is, how does the love of God abide in a person who can't even reach out to somebody else? And then over to chapter 4, look at verse 16. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. 1 John 4, 16. God is love, and the one who abides in love, that's a key, we have to abide in it, abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not, notice, perfected in love. That tells me that we have, there's a work that needs to be done, a perfecting work in my life, in your life, where God is trying to perfect me more and more in his love, showing me how to love, putting me in positions where it's inconvenient or I'm tested, and I have to be patient and kind. This is how we grow. It says we love because, 1 John 4, 19, because what? He first loved us. This is the motivation for our love. He loved us first. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment, not suggestion, commandment we have from him. That the one who loves God should love his brother also. Back to 1 Corinthians 13. Now, I would imagine that John saying this because love in the early church, just like today, was an issue. It's a challenge to love the way that we're called to love. Anybody? Would you agree? It, it can be inconvenient. It, it can test you to the core because the kind of love the Bible's talking about is unconditional love. I've been quoting a little bit from The Love Dare. It's a 40-day challenge uh, written by a couple of brothers who have done some movies in Hollywood, the Kendrick brothers. And it's a 40-day challenge to just love somebody, maybe probably in this case your spouse, and just love them unconditionally. And in some cases, you might not even tell them that you're doing the love dare. And you do 40 days basically around 1 Corinthians 13. And you just love them. And at day three, your spouse will probably say, what in the world has happened to you, right? Because you're showing them patience and kindness and so forth. And every day you have a challenge of something to do. And the point of the 40-day love dare is that you love somebody else unconditionally despite what you get back. If I were to ask you right now, for those of you who are married, why do you love your spouse? I think many of you, if not most of you, would say, because she's pretty, because she is a good cook, because she does this, or she loves me well. And if I flipped it around, if I asked you ladies, why do you love your husband? Well, because he's handsome. That's the first thing that you'd say, right? And, and then, you know, he's strong, and he takes care of me, and he earns money for the family, and you, whatever you might say. But did you hear those answers? Those answers are good answers, but what are they? They're performance answers. Because she's pretty. Because he works hard. Because they... See, that's a doing love. It, that, that's, that, the world's love is a performance love. You got it? 
You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You perform well, I'll give you this. The Bible says this, God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Life on the go can make it difficult to catch up on your study in the Bible. If you think about it, Walk in Truth with Pastor Michael Lance is here for you, kind of like a daily supplement to help your spiritual growth. You can listen to Walk in Truth whenever you want because it's on podcast too. Subscribe to Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app. For example, if you have an iPhone, we're on your iPodcast app already on your phone. Walk in Truth is also on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and many more. So listen on your hike, during your drive, or while you're getting work done at a coffee shop. Basically, listen whenever you want. Subscribe to the Walk in Truth podcast, available on your favorite podcast app. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. He first loved us. This is the motivation for our love. He loved us first. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment, not suggestion, commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Back to 1 Corinthians 13. Now I would imagine that John's saying this because love in the early church, just like today, was an issue. It's a challenge to love the way that we're called to love. Anybody? Would you agree? It, it can be inconvenient. It, it can test you to the core because the kind of love the Bible's talking about is unconditional love. I've been quoting a little bit from The Love Dare. It's a 40-day challenge uh, written by a couple of brothers who have done some movies in Hollywood, the Kendrick brothers. And it's a 40-day challenge to just love somebody, maybe probably in this case your spouse, and just love them unconditionally. And in some cases, you might not even tell them that you're doing the love dare. And you do 40 days, basically around 1 Corinthians 13, and you just love them. And at day three, your spouse will probably say, what in the world has happened to you, right? Because you're showing them patience and kindness and so forth. And every day you have a challenge of something to do. And the point of the 40-day love dare is that you love somebody else unconditionally despite what you get back. If I were to ask you right now, for those of you who are married, why do you love your spouse? I think many of you, if not most of you, would say, because she's pretty, because she is a good cook, because she does this, or she loves me well. And if I flipped it around, if I asked you ladies, why do you love your husband? Well, because he's handsome. That's the first thing that you'd say, right? And, and then, you know, he's strong, and he takes care of me, and he earns money for the family, and you, whatever you might say. But did you hear those answers? Those answers are good answers, but what are they? They're performance answers. Because she's pretty. Because he works hard. Because they, see, that's a doing love. It, that, that's, that, the world's love is a performance love. You got it? You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You perform well, I'll give you this. The Bible says this, God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loved you before you were lovable. 
And he still loves you on the days when you're cranky and irritable and you have a bad hair week. Right? He still loves us. That's the amazing thing about God's love. God's love is not performance-based. This is what agape love is. It's a decision of the will no matter what. You see, if you can fall out of love, if you can say these words, and I know that this is common, and this is a lot of what the culture says, I, don't lo- I fell out of love for that person. Look, if you've been married for a number of years, you've probably fallen out of love hundreds of times and fallen back in love hundreds of times. Can I get a witness? Some of you couples who've been married a long time, you don't want to admit it. Don't raise your hand because what? You did what? I, I feel you. But here, here we go. Right? The feelings ebb and flow. And here's what the book said. I'm stealing this from the book. The book said, if you could fall out of love then did you ever unconditionally love that person? Because if you fell out of love, you might say, well, it's because they no longer do this, or I no longer feel this, or this isn't happening anymore. But do you see? That's all performance-based. Everybody think about it for a second. The word unconditional means what? Without, (laughs) I know it's painful, but here it is, without conditions. You mean like no conditions? Isn't there some fine print somewhere? Some small type? Some some escape hatches somewhere? No, it's unconditional. Think about the word. Sometimes we say words and we don't really think about what they really mean. The depth of what they mean is that when you went to the altar, you said in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, the good times and the bad times, as long as we both shall live. That's what you said. You said, and I know at the altar it's exciting and you're in love and the Google got you could never do anything wrong. And then and then you move in together, and it's the couple of days after the wedding night, and whoa. That's how they look in the morning? (laughs) She burnt the toast? Toast? You just have to put it on number four and it's perfect. How could that happen? You see, then life comes your way. And then you have to decide if you're going to love the way God's called you to love. I wonder if some of you have decided. The Bible says we know that we passed out of death into life because we love God's people. 1 John 3.14 We know that we're believers because we have this love in us. Now, I'm not telling you that this love is easy. And I'm not telling you that it's just a snap of your fingers away from you and it's just it's something that's going to make you desperately fall at the foot of the cross probably every single day when you think about its implications. Would you agree? It's going gonna, it's gonna to find you on your face crying out to God to give me the resources to love this way. My love is a response to God's love. And here's the good news. And the resources to love this way come from God. You don't have to do it alone. And some of you have been failing because you've been trying to do it in your own power. 
And if you try to love this way without God's help, you're in trouble. Because the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22, is love. And we, many of us have memorized those fruits of gentleness and kindness and patience and all those other ones, but the trunk of the tree is love. The fruit of the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, is love. Romans 5.5 5 says God has poured out His love in us or through us, through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. It's been shed abroad in our hearts. We have a power source to love this way. In fact, I would tell you that one of the key characteristics of walking in the Spirit that manifests in your life is love. Paul's been correcting the Corinthian church and he's been saying to them, you guys think it's the gift of tongues. You think it's prophecy. You think it's this or that. I have to tell you that if you had mountain-moving faith, if you gave your body to be martyred or burned, if you, had, uh, you gave all your possessions to feed the poor, but you had not love, you are nothing. Nothing. It's not the gifts the gifts are a blessing, no doubt. But the gifts without love, they mean nothing. And so Paul is now going to give us eight negative descriptions of love. What love is not. We've already learned in 1 Corinthians 13.4 that love is patient and love is kind. I reminded you that those are uh, things that God has been to us, attributes of God, if you will. 1 Corinthians 13.4, love is patient Love is kind. And now we get into the is-nots. Love is not, take a look with me, love is not jealous. Love is not jealous. Now, it's certainly true that there is a right kind of jealousy. In fact, the Bible does say that God is a jealous God. He's jealous for our hearts. He's jealous in the right and best sense. And if you were married and your spouse cheated with on, on you with someone, you should be jealous. That's a healthy jealousy. That's a reasonable jealousy. That's a biblical jealousy. What's not biblical is to be uh, a person that is constantly snooping around and filled with distrust. Now, I'm saying all things being equal. I know some of you have been hurt and wounded and you carry some of those things into your relationship, but all things being equal, let's just talk here in terms of the Word of God. The Word of God says don't be jealous. Love is not jealous. You've got to give a certain level of freedom to the person that you are supposed to love the most. If you are a wet blanket on them, if you never give them any freedom, look, if you're married, please have some friends outside your marriage. You need to have some friendships with other people. And I'm talking about if you're a guy, go out and do a few things with your buddies. If you're a gal, go out and do some things with your girlfriends. You'll love each other even more when you get back from shopping. Right? You don't have to play golf with your spouse. You can if you want to. <laughs> How many of you saw that uh, Everybody Loves Raymond episode when they played golf together? And it was like she was trying to do something that he enjoyed and they went out there and she made her first putt and he missed and it was a disaster! 
<laughs> All these best things we have. Yeah, we could just do this together. Well, some things are fun to do together, but other things you may want to do them separately. That's okay. It could be healthy for your relationship. Love is not jealous. If you have the NIV, it says, love does not envy. Love and jealousy are mutually exclusive. Jealousy literally means to burn with intense fire. Where one is, the other cannot be. Shakespeare called jealousy the green sickness. It's also been called the enemy of honor and the sorrow of fools. Jesus referred to it as the evil eye. Matthew 20, 15, King James Version. The verb is ordinarily used by Paul in a positive sense, but its cognate adjective appears in uh, chapter 3, verse 3, for strife and rivalry. Love is free from envy. Love doesn't have to prove something to someone. When we are jealous and envious, it's because we can't stand being upstaged by somebody else. Love doesn't act that way. Love can rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You're listening to True Love 3, Part 1 on Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael's teaching, finishing up 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4-7. through 7. Remember to check out our thank you gift for your $20 donation on walkintruth.com. Also, remember Walk in Truth is available on podcast apps like iHeartRadio, iPodcast, and Spotify. Please follow us and listen whenever you want. Tune in tomorrow for part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4-7 about true love. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.